1: Hey, gang, this podcast is brought to you by Skullbrew Coffee Company. As you all know, this is a business that I started to give back more to conservation. We roast premium coffee that ships out within just hours of roasting, guaranteeing that you'll get the freshest coffee available. The kicker, we donate 10% of our proceeds back to conservation. You choose where the donation goes when you check out. You can check us out at SkullbrewCoffee.com. So let's do something great together and help protect wild places one cup at a time. Visit SkullBrewCoffee.com and pledge your support of conservation today. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand deer hunting podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 113. Today I'm joined by my good friend, Josh Prophet, and we're discussing his strategies for breaking down large tracts of public land and killing mature public land bucks. So stay tuned. All right, all right, all right. Happy Wednesday, everyone. Hope everyone is feeling good out there. Got a little nice weather, was able to get out into the timber and do a little shed hunting. Got back to the family property, did a little food plot preparation, got some lime spread, some fertilizer. Um, did get the chance to just kind of cruise around the one bedding area that I wanted to check out on the, uh, on the newer property, uh, to see if I could find any sheds and, you know, surprise, surprise, uh, I found zero sheds, which probably doesn't come as a shock to many of you out there since I am quite possibly the world's worst shed hunter, but we're quickly moving to spring. So I'm pretty excited about that. Got plenty of work done, pulled all my cameras. I typically don't pull my cameras out of the timber. They typically stay in all year round, but these ones have been out for Man, they've been out for, I think, two years straight now, so it was about time to pull those in and do a little bit of maintenance on them, clean them up, make sure they're in good good shape and ready to rock and roll for next year. I did check the camera cards in there because I hadn't checked them since, I think it was uh, the November 1st or 2nd, I think, was the last day that I was on that property before I headed to Ohio for rut. So those things have been soaking for a while, unfortunately a handful of them died uh shortly after that as far as like the batteries you know were I didn't have enough battery life in them didn't have any batteries with me so that was a a fail on my part but a handful of them did have 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 some juice in it um and it just got to say a little discouraged i was hoping to see a, a few a few better deer than i did there was one which was the one that i had seen uh from the stand i think it was on the th- november 1st i think i saw him um, did get another image of him. Uh, I think around the 23rd of November in a different part of the property. And, uh, he's, he's a good looking deer. He would have been a, uh, he was a, a nice Pennsylvania nine point this year. Um, hoping that he makes it through to to next year or hope, hoping that it did. I didn't see him on any of my other cameras. He could have quite possibly gone past the handful of them that, that the batteries had died in. Um, so again, my, my fail on that part, but he did have a bum leg. So he was kind of limping. So I'm hoping that, uh, I'm hoping that the winter didn't take him. I'm hoping that he d- didn't get succumbed to some, some coyotes and uh, hoping that he didn't meet the, meet the bullet during, uh, during rifle season, but we'll get these things ready and then put them out, you know, here a couple turnarounds and we'll be heading, heading toward the uh, and head toward velvet fest, I guess. And uh, I'll get those out then uh, to see if I can't track him back down and see if he's still um, see if he's still around, but did get the food plot work done, a little lime, a little fertilizer, a little bit of frost seeding. I think as I'd mentioned the last time, <clears throat> I am going to probably put this uh, food plot into uh, soybeans this year, but I did want something for spring green up. So I uh, did a little frost seeding of some clover and then uh, <clears throat> we'll wait till the, to the, the soil gets to the right temperature to uh, go ahead and put the soybeans in, in the ground. Uh, have a cool show today. I'm not going to belabor this up front a whole bunch <clears throat> other than, <clears throat> excuse me. Other than to make mention that you can still get involved, uh, today is the last day to get involved in the h b uh, thirty three Obsession bow giveaway. I'll pull all the folks who have entered uh, today when this podcast launches, so you have till the end of the day till I get basically till I get home from work and get a chance to pull all those uh, names and stuff together. And then we'll be announcing the winner on the uh, April third podcast so if you're listening to this in the morning of wednesday wednesday morning um, go ahead and head over and uh, make your submission by uh, liking truth from the stand instagram page liking the obsession bow instagram page and then commenting on last week's social post that has the obsession bow image in it and uh tag two friends in it you do that And you will be in the running to win the bow. Again, like I said, I will pull the names at the end of the day on Wednesday as this podcast come out and uh, get the names out on the April 3rd for who, who the winner is. But like I said, we have a cool show today. I have my buddy Josh Profit on, who is from Kentucky. Uh, He's BG Hunter on Instagram. Uh, Some of you probably already follow him. But he's a dude that uh, tends to get it done uh, in in, in the big woods of of Kentucky on public land. Uh, He has a knack for finding good deer. Um, I've seen plenty of his... Um, trail camera pictures of the hammers that he has has seen there. And you know a lot of folks when they think of Kentucky, you know, certain areas of Kentucky, you probably think there's there's decent deer there. Um, but you know, by and large, I wouldn't say that it's the one of the first ones that comes to to mind when you think of big deer, but some of the animals that he's had encounters with, has seen, and has harvested uh, would say that there are some hammers that live on public land in the state of Kentucky. Um, I'm not going to give away necessarily where he's at, and I'm sure during the course of this podcast he won't either. But it's just kind of interesting to see, you know, guys who are hunting public land in some of these, you know, states that maybe aren't as well known that are able to get on good deer. Um, he he has kind of a methodology, has he? Uh, how he kind of goes about breaking down larger tracts of public land. You know, he prefers to have public land. Uh, or large tracts of public land as opposed to smaller uh, smaller chunks to break down. now it does take a little bit more time, a little bit more effort um, but he's a he's an effort dude as you'll kind of gather from this podcast and that's the one thing I really love about him is that the guy is a boots on the ground grinder putting in the effort to try to get it done. And he, and he often does. He killed a great deer this year with a trad bow and he's been, you know, hunting with uh traditional archery for, for quite some time now. And, uh, with uh, a pretty high level of success. So I won't belabor this any longer. We'll go ahead and get Josh dialed in and talk public land and public land bucks. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I am joined by so so this is a fellow that some of you probably possibly know from from online. I met him through um, some mutual friends of ours, the the folks from Exodus Chad Chad Rodeo Rodeo Sylvester. Um, I'm talking to none other than BG Bowhunter, as he's called on Instagram or as his given name Josh Profit. What's going on, man?
2: Oh, man. What's up? I'm sitting here enjoying this beautiful Sunday.
1: That's right, man. I know it's uh, it's pretty nice. I know we were chatting yesterday. We've had some nice bluebird days. Unfortunately, I've been stuck inside on both of them, which is unlike me. But I know you got out a little bit, at least. I'm living vicariously. Yeah, I got right
2: out. <laughs> <laughs> if the wife lets me, I'm going to try to get out again today, man. I've got, I mean, cabin fever like no other yeah how's
1: uh i mean so you're i know you're in kentucky right so how's uh have you had a rough winter i mean has it been pretty pretty bad or how's it been
2: man no i mean it, it really hasn't it doesn't get real cold here i mean it we get cold snaps and we get a little bit of snow but it's it's a it's always pretty much a mild winter with virtually you know i bet we haven't got 10 15 inches of snow all winter together so yeah it's man it's nothing like them guys up north to deal with yeah i know man we had a, we had
1: we had some minus like teen days around here man which is that, that's i mean that's even cold for around here we don't we don't get stuff like that that often and this year actually has been kind of a a mild winter as far as the snow goes here in pa um the temps have been pretty pretty cold but we've had a wet year just in general, man. Like, I don't know that I remember a year that we've gotten so much rain just consistently, and no matter if it's, like, summer, even during, like, the drought period we're supposed to have during the summer, man, we got pounded with rain. I don't know, was it pretty wet for you guys?
2: Yeah, we did. We had a pretty wet summer. Uh, winter was decent, man. And here over the last month or so, it has just been, I mean, crazy as far as the rainfall that we've got. It's, I mean, every all the, all the fields still have, all kinds of water in them around here really
1: well it's it's not so bad like i don't mind the the rain when we get to like i don't know maybe late august early september like whenever i need to go in and kind of do a do a recon quick camera check before the season kicks off and i want to i want to have some low impact or whatever it's like i don't mind it being wet around that time frame man but it seems like we just couldn't get rid of the rain i hunted in rain this year more than i probably hunted in rain the past three years combined i think which is, a, uh, which, which, which is not good, man. They're like hunting, hunting in the rain in the saddle. There's really just no way to get out of it. So I was wet hunting in
2: the rain in general. There's no way to get out of it <laughs> well, I've, unless you're a duck on her or something.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Well, it's like, I've, I've kind of rigged up some contraptions in the past, like with tree umbrellas and just like the way I can kind of situate myself that I can, if I have a, if I'm in a stand, I can usually stay out of it pretty well, you know, pretty dry. But in a saddle, man, you're kind of strung up leaning back. So, that, I mean, there is nothing you can do because you're kind of leaning back. Even if you have a tree umbrella or something up, you're leaning out from underneath of it, essentially, you know, getting wet. Right. And then I told this story once, you know, I think it was right after the rut, but, you know, with all the saddle hunting and stuff like that, you're all, you know, you're dependent on your ropes and stuff like that. And I didn't think about it. Mine got wet. I was, I was hunting in the rain. It was actually when I was, I was hunting with Chad. And, uh, I came home and I just threw all my stuff in the back of my in the bed of my truck like I always do. Have a, you know, a uh Tanu cover on it. Went in, you know, went to bed that night or whatever and it got real cold and I came out the next morning, threw all my stuff on, hiked into, you know, where I was planning to hunt that day. Went to pull my ropes out and they were just like frozen stiff. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So it was mm. uh yeah, it was I spent a couple minutes at the bottom of my tree trying to bend them loose so I could actually you know use them and get them around the tree and stuff like that it was just it, it wasn't good man but but needless to say so i know this is the first time i've had you on man i know that you and i met out of at ata um i heard chad of course he talked talked about you you know talking about his buddy in kentucky hunts hunts a lot of public ground gets it done has a lot of good deer sees good deer kills good deer Um, And I was like, man, I got to meet this Josh Prophet guy. And so as luck would have it, you were out at ATA this year and we got to do some, some hanging out. But for the folks out there listening that maybe don't know as much about you as I do, if you wouldn't mind, just give me a little background about yourself, you know, where you're from, what you do professionally and what your, what your deal is in the whitetail world.
2: Oh man, my name is Josh Prophet. I'm from Western Kentucky, uh, 34 years old. I've been hunting roughly probably 26. Six, twenty-seven years. I mean, I started really, really young. Um, I've been bow hunting roughly, probably twenty of those, right around there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my that's my main passion is definitely bow hunting, and that's what gets me going. But um, I'm a coal miner at heart. That's what I do for a living. Um, married to a beautiful wife, four kids, and. I'm an extremely busy guy. <laughs> <laughs> nice.
1: Nice. Yeah, between uh, yeah. between between checking trail cameras, bow hunting, keeping keeping the wife happy and keeping the kids uh in check and busy, man. That's a you got like four in coal mining. that's like four full-time jobs right there.
2: I counted. I don't know. You know, I sit down sometimes <laughs> and when my when everything's just get it just gets spinning so fast, I I'm like, man, how am I you know, how am I even doing this right now? So you really got to prioritize and because hunting is, a, is honestly, it's a very, deer hunting is a very selfish sport. Yeah. And so for a family man, you know, you really got to, uh, you know, watch how you manage your time in my opinion.
1: Yeah. No, I a hundred percent agree, man. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that cause I was just driving. I think it was yesterday. It might've been the day before we, you and I were texting and I started just thinking about, uh, about all the, like my friends, like the guys who are close friends, because as you go through life, like you kind of, you have friends you were friends with in high school or whatever, right? Or that you grew up with. And, you know, I'm still friends with some of those guys and close friends with some of those guys. And then you kind of hit this next phase of your life, which is like whether you go to college or whatever, but you're out on your own, right? And you're kind of making, making your own way or making your own name or whatever. And you kind of usually have like a a, a group of friends around that period of time. And then you go into this other phase. It's, you know, that's, you know, you know, becoming a family man or whatever, right, where you're starting a family and um, your priorities change a little bit and you typically kind of have another group of friends that kind of are, like, that part of your life, probably for the foreseeable future or until, the, like, the end of time because you kind of are going through the same life phases together. And I was just stopped and I was thinking for a second. I was starting to count, like, my buddies who I'm pretty close with and I was like, man, what's, like, the common thing? Is you know, early in my days, you know, music was the common thing. It was like I was all my friends were musicians, that's what I did. And now I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, they're all basically hunters for the most part, but I was like, it's not just the hunting. I was like, what is it that makes us like close and that we get along really well and that we care about each other and stuff like that outside of being deer hunters and stuff. And I was like, you know what it is? Like all the guys that I, you know, talk to and surround myself with are just like super driven, motivated guys who have their priorities, right. And put family first, you know, that was like, when I started thinking about it, I was like, how cool is it that I, I've been lucky enough to be surrounded by a bunch of dudes that are just quality guys that have have the right things in priority, you know, and it just it it, it was a it was a feel good moment, I guess I should say as I was driving down the road.
2: Yeah, I mean the the day that you put your hobbies in front of your family, I mean, it's time for a big reality check and if you are doing that, then, man, things at home probably really aren't going that good. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, there's just there's just not.
1: Yeah, you, you said it, man. It's like the uh, my wife is definitely the barometer of uh of whenever I'm teetering too far in one direction or the other. Because there's definitely days where she's like, "Look, you need to go hunt because I need you to leave the house for a little while." Like, <laughs> you know what I Whew. mean?
2: <laughs> I wish my wife would do that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I know, right? It doesn't happen very often, but there's every now and then she's like, "Man, you're just you're a handful right now. Like, you need to go. You just need to go get into a tree somewhere." You know,
2: so yeah, I couldn't imagine, man, I couldn't imagine. Cause all, I keep all of my stuff. I got a little hunting truck with a camper shell on it. So all mm-hmm. my stuff stays in my truck. If my wife told me that there would probably be about 2.3 seconds before I had my boots on and was hitting the garage door <laughs> opener.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I, I mean, that. I'd
2: be, I'd uh, be ready to go.
1: I hear that. I hear that. So man, you know, let's talk about the whole prioritization thing, man. Cause I, you know, as I was thinking about all this stuff the other day, you know, it's, uh, I was starting to think about that prioritization aspect of it, you know, how you kind of, how you balance everything. Right. Cause like, as you mentioned, man, it's like, you're married, you know, which, um, love my wife or, you know, our, she's wonderful. Um, you know, but it, there's definitely, you know, a management aspect to making sure that I have the right amount of time with her and helping with, with the, you know, we have one kid, so helping with our daughter and helping with the household stuff, making sure things are taken care of, you know, that way, whenever I do go, you know, and 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 am selfish to go out and do a hunt or whatever. You know, whatever the case is, she's cool with it, and I'm not leaving anything you know undone here at the house. You know, how how do you kind of manage all that, man? Because it's like you got four kids, married, coal miner, and ridiculously passionate deer hunter. How do you kind of balance all of it?
2: Um, you know, back when I was younger, when I say younger, I had my I'm 34. My son's fixing to turn 13 this spring, so I had my very first kid when I was young. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, you know, when I was younger, my late teenage years and early twenties and mid twenties, like I was diehard, even when I had a couple kids and, um, I, I'll say it, man, I felt like now that I kind of put them on the back burner uh, mm-hmm. when I shouldn't have. And, man, just when your kids are little, in my opinion, man, that's, you really need to be, you need to be with them as much as you can because you you know, you're molding and shaping them the way that that you want them to grow up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they're, they're your biggest fan and you're their hero. So, right. um, I ended up, man, I, I, I have, uh, three uh, kids with my ex wife and, um, I got newly, newly married, uh, or remarried in about four or five years or five years ago. Sorry. Nice. And,
1: um, yeah, hopefully she didn't listen to this. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
2: I'm sure she will, but, uh, it, um, she didn't understand hunting near as much as some of the other girls I dated and we had a kid together and I just really tried to, you know, look at it through her eyes. Um, you know, I work uh, swing shift, you know, I'm gone 14, 16 hours a day with work and um, I might get my, my other three kids every other weekend. So, uh, no matter what, I'm always home that weekend. Uh, that's more or less my family weekend. You know, we all get together and that's when we're together, but it just opened my eyes, man, to, uh, to how selfish I've been, you know, over the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I just needed a priority change. So I changed things around, man. And, and, um, I do, I do the best I can. My wife may argue with me sometimes, but <laughs> I do, I do the best I can. And, um, you know, deer hunting just had, it had to hit the back burner. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that. I know I'll get to hunt more when my kids get older, but it's just, it does, man. It makes it, um, it makes hunting really tough and it, you have to kind of take a different approach at it. In my opinion, um, you gotta look at it different. Um, you gotta use different tactics. So, I mean, that's kind of where I am with it.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree, man. Cause I'm, i'm right there with you you know as far as you know trying to prioritize my time and make sure i'm spending time home you know the one thing i have kind of working against me is most of the places that i hunt that are what i would consider you know my quality places to hunt are, are several hours drive from me and i have a couple pieces close to me that i've started to figure out that i'm able to able to hunt and be close to home so i can get out on some weekends and stuff like that and be you know if it's an evening hunt, I can get out on Saturday evening and be back, you know, to watch a movie and eat dinner and, and do all that stuff um, to spend some some family time. But I definitely hear you as far as, like, having to change things up. So, you know, and, and I kind of equate it to I'm having to hunt smarter and not harder. So I might not get out as many days as I have in the past, um, but I'm actually having more, you know, and better encounters than I've had. So I guess talk to me a little bit about, like, what you're doing that's helping you hunt smarter and maybe – you know, maximizing your time in the timber. Like what's, what's kind of your process for that?
2: Well, it, um, beforehand, like when I was, I'm not talking a long time ago, neither just maybe five years ago. Like when I was, uh, scouting and running my cameras, like say I had five trail cameras with me. Um, I was like, man, I got to get all five of these cameras out because they're not doing me any good at home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the same was, you know, the same uh, was with my hunting man, I was like, I gotta, you know, I gotta get in the stand. I only got four days a month to hunt. Like I gotta get up in the tree. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it just, man, it wasn't, wasn't working out good for me. Um, and so now when I go out, um, if I got five trail cameras and I put three out, I'm very confident in them three when I, and I come home with two, I feel much better about it. Mm-hmm. And the same goes, you know, with my deer hunting, if I got, you know, two days to hunt, I'm probably going to scout or check cameras, one of them. So, I mean, I, I don't get very much tree time. Um, I'm a firm believer with the boots on the ground and, um, spending a lot of, a lot of time scouting, trying to stay on fresh sign, picking up where deer are moving to. Uh, it's, it was funny cause the, talked about this a little bit in the last podcast that did, or one of them. It was like the fir- first day of my vacation this, this year, and I was like literally headed out of my house at the break of day, and I was going to scout and check cameras, and that's all I was doing. <laughs> and uh, it was like November. It was early November. Right. And I had multiple people message me and were like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> it's, it's November, man. You just you got to be up in the tree, and there's a little bit of truth to that. I agree right. to that. Right. You can catch that Vegas-style look, but – um scouting the boots on the ground and you know this the whole the whole drive to to want to do better is man i really feel like that's put more more bucks on my wall than just climbing up a tree
1: right because yeah, the conventional wisdom there during that time frame is just like anything can happen so just be being a tree put yourself in a in a pinch point or a funnel somewhere and just and and, and wait it out right that's a that's what a lot of a lot of guys do. So, I, I guess before we jump into like some of your approach, I guess let's talk a little bit about the type of places that you're hunting. Because I know, you know, you and I talked a little bit. <clears throat> you know, whenever I made a trip in Ohio, we've hunted similar similar type of type of ground and and, and type of terrain. And I know you're hunting you know if not all almost you know i would say the large majority of what you're hunting is public land so you know talk to me a little bit about the type of land that you're hunting is it you know public versus private you know what's the is it near ag big woods and you know, what's the setup
2: um man i'm a big woods hunter um now i do like my don't get me wrong but i say i like big prop. let me rephrase that i like big properties mm-hmm. um i'm not real big on the small WMAs and that may hurt me you know but Um, I like the big WMAs that can hold a lot of pressure that have, uh, you know, less access. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in backup plans too. Um, I'm literally right across the, the, the line from Indiana. So I can be, I can be in my Indiana hunting spots just as fast as I can in my Kentucky. So, um, I tried the straight big woods, uh, style, um, virtually no ag and I, I'm not going to lie. Like it kicks my butt outside the rut. It kicks my butt. Right. Um, the, my, my favorite WMAI hunt is it's over 6,000 acres and it's, it's big, it's big woods. And, but it does have ag as well as far as like on tops of the ridges and the low lines and it, you know, it's hill country. So that's the, the type of, uh, places that I like to key on key in on is the the bigger wood settings that does offer the food.
1: Right. So what is it about those, those big pieces that are, that are attractive? Is it just the sheer size that you can, if you know that there's a deer there, that you're not limited by, by boundary lines, you know, is it the, the fact that, you know, it, what you said just a minute ago that it can hold a lot more pressure. So even if there's a lot more hunters, there's a lot more pockets that aren't getting touched. So, you know, what, what is it about it that, that really kind
2: of draws you to those big pieces? I think I get bored. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, my stepdad owns 260 acres, and I've never deer hunted it. Right. Um, I just... Man, the, the the drive for me to get out and spread my wings, I love the, like I said, I don't keep going back to the boots on the ground, but I'll just, I love to scout and to find new things and, and just the bigger areas, man, like, um, I'm looking at my map right now and, um, my furthest camera I had out north to my, uh, furthest camera south was almost five miles in between. Wow. Yeah, that's a furthest. I had there, on, man yes yeah the property was is long and and narrow and i had cameras out uh all in between them but man just it gives me room to find the deer because the, the deer on public land they they can get bumped around and um you know i can find them and then like a lot of things that people don't think about is uh, a lot of people like to hunt like edges mm-hmm. you know you got to get close to the private farm you got to get close to the private and you know that, i'm not saying that's a bad bad t- tactic but a lot of these deer, man, if you get in a big enough piece, I mean, they pretty much live on the public.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And if you, if you got enough area to scout them, you know, you can find them because in August they may be over here, in December they may be three miles up the road.
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah,
2: that's, that's, uh, i don't know if that makes
1: sense but. Uh, it, it does now actually you and i were talking about that a little bit in text message maybe or, <clears throat> or when we spoke on the phone i don't remember but i know when i was out in in iowa the thing that was kind of throwing me off and i even mentioned it to john in the last uh lost yeah the last podcast we did which was you know i hunt similar type of terrain i guess is as, as you and some of the places of ohio that i'm hunting where it's you know bigger woods and Um, not a lot of ag necessarily around there's, there's definitely ag, but you, you don't have to work very hard to get away from it. I guess is what I'm trying to say. And, but going out to Iowa, it's like, it's, it was just different because there's not as, um, the, the, now the part of Iowa that John lives in doesn't look like the rest of Iowa. I guess I should say that first, like, you know, a lot of Iowa is pretty flat where John lives. It definitely has some like you know, big draws and big deep cuts, and you know there are definitely some some ridges and stuff like that. Not maybe to the extent that you know you're familiar with in Kentucky or that I'm familiar with in, in PA, but there's definitely some some topography, right? Some some elevation changes and stuff like that. But there weren't like any like defined like saddles how I would look for in 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 Ohio. You know, there's not necessarily like those points are a lot mm-hmm. more they're a lot more subtle, and then there's so much ag there that like in talk talking to john you know i was looking at all these pieces that were really kind of deep in cover and he was like hey he's like you know i think you're i think we're looking in some good spots he's like but out here man he's like don't discount the ag he was like because it's not a uh he's like it's not pennsylvania or even ohio for that matter he's like where public land's gonna get blistered with people you know he's like it's gonna be still pretty low pressure he's like and he's like, I've seen big deer near, near ag fields. You know, he's like, I've had some really good encounters in this particular spot that we were looking at. And he was like, you know, so don't be afraid to get a little closer than maybe you would, you know, what you're used to hunting. And, and so I was thinking to myself, I was like, man, I got to remember that when I'm out there because my first instinct is just to try to get in the middle of something where I don't think anyone is going to be. And that's pretty much everything mm-hmm. out there. Cause everyone has a farm that they're hunting out there for the most part where he's at. So, you know, how do you kind of balance that, I guess, cause you have ag, ag nearby, right? And there's probably some decent spots for ag that are, that would probably be pretty dynamite, right? That you, but maybe you aren't setting up on them.
2: Man, well, one thing that a lot of people don't take into consideration, like there's a, there's a big difference in uh, a thousand acre farm that you don't go into your sanctuaries, that you only check your cameras via truck or side by side on the field edges, that you just literally stay out of spots. Year round to they're just right versus, uh, you know, a piece of public land that has hiking, horseback riding, small game hunting, deer hunting, fishing. So, um, in my opinion, <laughs> you can get away with so much more because just the deer are just used to you, right? I mean, they're still they're still deer, mm-hmm. but it's not as near as big of a deal if you mess up on a buck and you blow him, you know, you blow him down or he blows you down, um, versus you're after your one target buck that you've waited for all season for this perfect land. And you go in there and you mess him up. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just different. Right.
1: Yeah. I guess. Yeah, no, I hear you, man. It's I'm I'm having to try to reconcile what my, my approach is going to be, you know? And, and when I say hunt, hunt, <laughs> uh, hunt uh, you know, field edges or, or crops when I run in Iowa, whenever I say that it's like, I'm still going to be, you know 50 to 100 yards inside the timber you know right. I mean? just because I'm, I'm banking on a mature deer still going to cross check those those doe trails that are heading into that food you know because i'm gonna be out there in end of october november so um, well, go ahead i was i
2: didn't mean to interrupt you but it's I just i just thought of it it's it's really weird because you it's it's best if you really know your property well like public or private i'll just go back to to, to public but like on in your incidents it ain't going to be real good because you can only draw you know every four years yeah. but like the the last wma i hunted for 10 years um 10 years i've seen two during hunting season i seen two Pope and young gear in the fields in daylight
3: mm-hmm.
2: a lot of nighttime pictures but i mean that was it um so I didn't you know i didn't hunt i didn't really sit on fields I didn't hunt real real close to them well, I changed gears due to hunting pressure and the deer density dropping man this this new place I'm hunting it's it's really weird because um the deer will use the fields in the daylight you know almost like a private setting um uh two years ago we killed hundred and fifty inch deer in a in a in a food plot on public land wow um You know, and, but food does, you know, these fields, they do attract two things because they look good. They do, they attract the hunters and they attract the deer. Right. But you know, if it's, if it's November and you got a a field full of does, you got 10 or 15 does out in the field. I don't, I don't care where you are. Buck's not going to wait till (laughs) he's not going to wait till it gets dark to come out there. Not in, you know, not in November or if the hunting pressure is really low, he may be out there. That's a good, you know, that's a good way to, uh, to look at it, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I got a few months to, to finalize my plan, but I think the one spot I'm definitely going to play the, play the food a little bit and sit back in, you know, about a hundred yards off, which I found some decent sign just about, about in that area. Um, and then some really thick cover as well. Um, and actually John had a really, I guess what it was maybe two, three years ago, he had an encounter with a really big deer in that general, in that general area. And he was like, he was just on a Sunday cruise, sent checking, you know, trails for does. He was like hanging out about a hundred yards off the food without a care in the world, you know? So, um, not necessarily, I'm not using that information as like the, the end all be all, uh, reason for, for possibly hunting in that, in that general area. But it's that along with the sign that I saw as I was walking through, um, I was like, all right, yeah, this is, uh, this is a spot that's going to, you know, be worth a couple sets anyway to, to see what happens. Um, right. You know, so one thing I want to ask though, man, is, <clears throat> is with, with big woods, you know, you you mentioned, you know, you might get some Vegas style luck, right. And I, I've not yet had the Vegas style luck in the big woods. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so one of the hardest things, and Chad and I've talked about this a little bit and I'm sure you, you both have probably talked about this together is just <clears throat> getting on Good deer in the big woods – let me put it this way. Getting on good deer anywhere in general is, can be hard, right? The big woods adds mm-hmm. just an extra element of difficulty because they've – because there's – I feel like – and this is what Chad and I were talking about. Was we were debating, like, how long is their line of movement, right? Even if you take it to rut because, you know, he and I have talked about, like, micro patterns, like, during the rut timing. It's kind of driven around around finding a doe, Right. But if you're in the earlier part of the season, like say October, right, where that's not really a factor, and you're really just going off of bed to food, it's like in those big wood settings, man. It's like there's food everywhere. At least a lot of the places I've hunted, just because of all the browse that's in there, and it, it's it. And they have how many how many spots they possibly could bed in that setting as well. It's not like they're going to use this one bed, you know what I mean? So talk to me a little bit about how you go about kind of breaking it down, especially in that October leading up to like maybe pre rut time and to try to find and locate good deer and be able to try to get on some type of, you know, something that resembles a pattern.
2: Man, you just, I would have started in the winter, you know, I would have been shed hunting and looking for beds, you know, prior to that. Mm -hmm. And you're right, man. A lot of people, they don't, they, a lot of people underestimate like natural browse mm-hmm. and he, you know, they think, uh, field, 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 or ag fielding, you know, that, that's great. But, and deer eat a lot of other things too. Yeah. and Like you're, like you're saying a big wood setting where there's, you know, maybe not near as much of that type of stuff. Um, maybe you just got to start early. Mm-hmm. You know, you got you got to get on digitally, look online, look on a map, think about, okay, this looks like a good bed. This looks like a good bed. This looks like where a bed could be. And then you got to go find it. Right. And then, um, you know, as a season rolls around, man, the, the, one of the best arsenals, it's, it's in my top three that you can put out is, is a trail camera. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You can buy literally, you can buy an Exodus camera for $145. It's got theft coverage, or you can go to Walmart buy a $50 Tasco. Right. And you could. And you, you've already got your scouting done. So you say so you found a bed, or you think you know where they're bedding, and you start you put your camera or two out, and you start getting a you know a picture of a buck. Then okay, well I got a picture of him here. I think his bed's here. Now what's he's feeding? What's he feeding on? And that's kind of how I go about it. Because if a guy if a guy knows where a deer is bedding and he, and he knows where he's feeding, and he has the and he has the kicker, and he has the time to hunt, there's no reason why he shouldn't kill him. Right. Um but to line all three of those up is pretty hard to do in my opinion.
1: <laughs> right. 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 It's it's easy. Like it's one of those things where, you know, I'll we'll talk to, you know, we've done a couple podcasts recently with, with, with Cody um, and, and then we had uh-huh. a chance to, well, I was in Iowa. We uh, had a chance to talk to Andre a little bit and, you know, I, you know, I know you're kind of a, a pretty aggressive hunter too. And I'm curious, I want to ask you another question after this, but you know, they're both obviously well known for being super aggressive and, you know, you, talk to either one of them and they'll be like, yeah, you find the deer, you find where he's bedding, you find where he's feeding. If you know those two things, you just go kill him. He's like, and if you bump him, then you just go find another deer. And it sounds really easy, right? It's like, oh yeah, super easy. But to your point, it's like... if that's all you do. Well, yeah, yeah. If it's all, yeah. But it's like you said, it's lining those three things up together at the same time on a specific deer to know that I'm going to go kill him. It's just like you don't always necessarily have it right or there's something that's not going to be in your favor that day the wind swirls or whatever the case might be or you know a coyote came through and knocked him out of uh, you know moved him away from where he was going to bed that day or whatever whatever it is it's the principles are easy the execution is hard i guess is what i'm trying to say
2: yes i I completely agree it all sounds easy when you say it but then when you go out there it's kind of yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. It's a different, so how, how do you, how
1: would you rate as far as like your aggressiveness? Like, do you feel like you're, you're an aggressive hunter? Do you feel like you're a patient hunter? Like, where do you kind of fall on that, on that spectrum?
2: Uh, on a scale of one to 10 with 10 being the most aggressive, I'm like at 11. Yeah. Okay. Uh, nice. <laughs> I'll, um, I mean, I'll run him out. Right. And, um, but, you know, that just goes back to, to the other things, man. Like when you, when you start to run so many cameras on like public property and you, and you spend like me, I've been hunting public, I don't know, roughly 15 years, 13 to 15 years. Like you start to look at things different. And with that many cameras, man, you wouldn't believe how many people are in the woods. Right. I mean, like nighttime daytime. And then, so in my mind, you know, it may not be true. If, if I bump him, I'm just like, well, man, he's already seen this 10,000 times. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and then for me, you know, I'm fortunate to have enough, I have enough cameras, man. If I bump a deer, I'm normally picking him right back up. Right. Um, so to me, man, I'll, I'll go in and you know, I'll run him out of there. Right. If I'm after a specific deer, I'll run him out. I I generally like to stack my eyes. I like to, I don't really like to go after a a specific deer. I like to go in a general area that has a lot of bucks. Right, right. Okay. That that makes sense.
3: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
1: Yeah, no, it does. It's like you're looking for, you know, just like some general habitat terrain, you know, that is going to be conducive to hold mul- multiple deer that you want to be after, as opposed to saying, hey, I, there's this one buck that's bedding on this real, small, in this real small area and putting all your chips into that necessarily, right? Makes sense. It's the you know.
2: Right. I mean, the way that I run my cameras, are, I can normally go in and check like five or six of them and several hundred acres. And then, you know, over thousands of acres, you know, you'll, you'll have a place that is like a buck motel,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, and that's kind of how my, that's kind of how my, my uh, hunt season was, man. I, I went to an area, yeah, I had bigger deer on camera, mm-hmm. but I went to an area where I had, where I had the most of them because man, I, my time is just so, it's so limited and then, you know, I knew, like, if I bump this deer, then I got five other ones that are just as big, if not bigger, right here. Right. Yeah,
1: it's, uh, I kind of learned that lesson hard, I guess, to, not this past year, but the year before, where I was trying to hunt one particular deer, had an encounter with him opening day, um, within shooting range, but he hid, he was behind some brush. Another deer got a little spooky, got downwind of me, and, walked away and he followed, he followed it out. And that was one of those things where it's like, I had put all my chips on that deer. Right. And I was like, and I knew mm-hmm. what was going to, I knew what he was going to do. I, I mean, I did everything except release the arrow on him. And I, that kind of cured me actually it, from that point forward. I was like, you know, I, <laughs> it was that I'm, i I want to hunt good deer, not a deer, you know? Um, and I know right. that that's like, you're talking about it. And like when you're hunting aggressive, that's kind of like the mentality you have to have. I know in talking to, Cody and John, it's like, that's, they do the same thing where it's like, they're after a good deer, not necessarily a deer. Right. And they'll know that there's several good deer in a particular area. And, um, if they know where one's at, they'll try to go get him. Right. But if that one doesn't work out, they're not, um, they're not beholden to that one deer for the season. If another one that fits their profile comes around. Right. I guess what I'm saying. So, you know, that's, uh, I learned that, uh, learned that lesson the hard way. So let me ask you this, man. So a buck motel, right. Um, have you found anything that between all the buck motels that you may have found, have you seen any type of trend or similarities between them that you can start to say like, Hey, I know whenever I'm looking for an area, it's going to hold several good deer. I'm looking for these three things like to start. And I'll know that I'll be kind of in a good area. Anything like that?
2: Yeah. Uh, it's normally uh, good bedding and, and food. I mean, um, a deer needs a place where he can feel halfway secure, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, then they're slaves to their stomach, so they got to have something to eat. Um, the area that I, you know, that I hunted in a lot this fall, man, the um, there was a private farm and it was clear cut, literally like the man. There just wasn't very many trees on it,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and um, man, them deer ran in and out that that uh, private to the public all the time i had maybe 160 inch deer on camera that come out of it probably 10 135 to 150 wow. and we're talking in only like a 300 acre Jeez. area so yeah <laughs> man, it, I, if a rabbit likes it a deer loves it right um you know and and you it's it's one thing that i think uh, a lot of people are starting to to realize like you got to set yourself up to kill a deer, not see a deer. Right. Uh, And them big, them big, pretty hardwoods are awesome, They Look good. And you do see good deer in them. But a lot of times, man, they're a hundred yards through the woods and yeah, it was a great encounter, but you didn't kill him. And then, so if you get, generally when I get in a little thicker area, man, just, it seems like the, the deer numbers, not just, you know, the bucks, but the deer numbers just, they just double. Right. And then, if you can get that somewhere within a quarter mile, half mile of of a good food source, uh, yeah, I mean your buck motel is going to be there somewhere. I can't <laughs> see it. Well, if if the deer density's high enough, I, I'd say it will be.
1: Right, right, yeah. I mean, that's you always have to kind of take that into consideration. You have to think about what is the opportunity in the area that you're hunting. Right? It's it. You can't expect. Yeah, to see I mean, t- I guess.
2: Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead.
1: No, I was just gonna say you can't expect to see 20 twenty twenty pooping younger better deer if you know, if you have a low deer density, you might see two. And that might be a buck motel for that area. You know what I mean?
2: Right. And that and that's was, was leading up to what I was gonna say. Like, man, you need to set you need to set your own goals because the, the industry and the social media, you know, the somebody sees this deer and they think, well, you know, I got to do this, or I got to do that, man. Like you need to, you need to set your own path. And just because he's over here killing 160 inch or 170 inch deer every year, and he's passing three-year-old deer or four-year-old deer, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that you have to do it because y'all circumstances may be, you know, totally, totally different. And I think as a hunter, man, that just, that really messes with a lot of people.
1: It does, man. I agree. I, I, and I think it can suck the fun out
2: of it too. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. 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 Like, I listened to a, it was two week week or two ago, I was in church and the, the preacher, he was uh, preaching a sermon and he used the analogy like, um, these, uh, I forgot who it was, peasants or somebody, they were putting these rocks in this wagon and before you know it, they, the, the wagon was broke. They blew the wheels off the wagon because they loaded it down with rocks too much, man. And you can do that, you can do that same thing, Hunt Like you think, well, I got to kill this kind of deer. So you throw this rock in the wagon. Well, I need this trail camera. So i throw this rock in the wagon. Well, I got to have that sick air to you So I'll throw this in the wagon. And before you know it, man, you're, you're busted chasing all these dreams that, that you didn't even make up yourself and you're out there spinning around not knowing what you're doing. Yeah,
1: ia 100%, 100% agree with you man. And I kind of feel like hunting is the place where I go to take rocks out of my wagon. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's Oh yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. You and me are a lot alike. <laughs> yeah, brother. I mean, it's it's I go I go there like we were talking at the beginning earlier, man, how much responsibility we have between you know, you know, jobs, you know, families. You know, kids, of course, as well. Personal things that we want to do. You know what I mean? And try not to be selfish, and trying to reconcile all that. You know, in our in our in our minds of how we how we can give enough to everybody who needs from us, but still retain a little mm-hmm. a little part for ourselves. You know what I mean? To you know keep ourselves you know satisfied or not satisfied isn't the right word, but um, sometimes it's just so you can keep your sanity. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. and in yep. the timber man, it's like. It's like going to church to a degree, you know what I mean? Like you get to be there and you get the, the silence and you get to kind of unravel things in your mind and, and think about things in a different way. And you don't have outside influences. It's even better if you can go somewhere where you don't have cell service. I mean, that's like one of my favorite things. I can't even get on like Instagram or Facebook or emails or text messages or whatever. I mean, that's, that's just a beautiful thing, you know, and allows you to, that's such a good analogy, man. Like the timber is definitely a place that I go to take the rocks out of the wagon.
2: That's for sure. You know. oh, we, oh, yeah, man. I, I agree. And that's, it's weird that we're talking about this because years ago, man, I was that guy that, you know, when it was rolling into mid, mid December, I was getting stressed because I haven't killed one. And it was like getting down to crunch time. And I was really putting some pressure on myself and, and I just didn't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And now that my time is so limited, man, when I get out there, you know, I, I'm just happy to be there. I'm happy. I had a, a good adventure, uh, good scenery on, on the drive on the way there. And it's just, it's so much more enjoyable now than what it was 10 years ago for me.
1: And even, even the parts that kind of, that aren't fun in the moment, right? Like that type two fun where it's like, it was tough, like the hike in or whatever. Like, for example, if there's a spot that's really steep and it was just a, a beater, you know what I mean? It's like when you get done with it, it's like, you know, at the end of the day, you get back to the hunt. It's like, you're thankful for that kind of adversity. You know what I mean? Because it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, that that type of stuff will cleanse you too. You know what I mean? It's not just sitting in the tree. It's the whole. It's the whole process. Like, in, embrace the process, not the not the end point. I guess is I guess the moral of the story.
2: So, oh yeah, good way to put it. Yeah,
1: but uh, so I want to. So I think you hit on something interesting where you're just kind of talking about how media or social media kind of influences things. And I've heard you say this before. And I think this was just in a. You and I were talking at ATA. I think is when it was. And we were talking about access in general, right? And, you know, there's there's this uh, idea that people have. It's like especially, you know, look, I know you and I both like to work out and stay in shape and, and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I do it for health reasons. I also do it because um, I like to not get tired when I hunt and be able to do what I need to do and not be limited by that. But, you know, there's definitely this aspect of hunting that has kind of evolved as the the, the hunting athlete. And it's all based on, like can you go deeper? Can you go farther? Because that's like where the pot of gold is. Um, And I think that sometimes in doing that, we overlook some of the opportunities that might look like they're too good to be true, but are true, if that makes sense. So, I mean, I guess talk to me a little bit about like your access and how you access things. How far are you hiking in? Like, do you feel like you have to hike five miles in to kill a good deer? Or do you feel like you can find overlooked spots that people walk right by on the way in?
2: Well, I mean, my pot of code was 150 yards from my truck this year. <laughs> if that tells you anything. Right. And that's the honest, gut. it was the best drag I've ever had. But right. man, I, I used to think like, man, go deep, hunt the edges and, uh, you know, and what you have to do is you have to, you have to go either where the deer are really used to people or where people don't go. And a lot of times, you know, that can literally be right by the parking lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's all going to determine, you know, how much you scout is how you're going to find these places. And, you know, I've had so many people tell me, like, I'll find some rubs and they'll be real close to a parking lot. or And they'll be like, man, that's all nighttime movement. I'm like, how do you know? Right. Just because it's right here, how do you know? Because mm. it's not a mile and a half or two, off the, uh, you know, off the beaten path. And we're like, what well, a lot of people don't realize is if you're hunting a piece like I hunt and you're going in deep and there's an access point, uh, two miles on the other side of the woods or three, like there's, there's other people doing the same thing. So you don't hike all this way
3: mm-hmm.
2: for no reason, because yeah. you got a guy coming. you're coming in from the East walking a mile and you got a guy coming in from the West. And then you end up in the middle of this property, literally in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> and you're right beside each other, and you're like, how'd that happen? Right. <laughs> yeah, I've had, yeah, I've had that happen to me. Yeah. Back but, so you, you just, you just gotta scout, man. You, these, these places can be anywhere. They can be three miles back. They can literally be right there where you can see your truck. Right. Um, and, and sometimes, I say, go ahead. I was just gonna say, man, put it, if you can hunt it or put a camera on it, it doesn't matter you know where it is. And just because you see somebody like while you're hunting doesn't mean that the hunt's over, that anything is messed up. Um, I used to be that guy years and years ago, you know, I'd see somebody I was like, man, hunt's over, you know, just guy would be getting out of a stand or I would bump into him or that's just not how it is, man. I've, you know, people could tell me it is, but I, I look around at, you know, some of the deer and the stories I, I could tell you, and it's just, it's not true. You, right. you know, just, just because other people are hunting, just because you're not a mile off the road, uh, doesn't mean that you won't have a good hunt. Bottom line is you go where the deer are. right
1: And part of that too, is, and, I think is, you, is, is using the pressure around you to hunt the pressure essentially, right?
2: mm, Yep. 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 Yeah, you can uh, you can find all that. You can find pressure bedding, and then if you know, like I know, you know from years of hunting, spot when, when the influx of hunters come in in November because that's when eighty percent of your people hunt public ground. Like you, you know where the deer are going to go because right. they've been doing it for years. Right. So you know, to that point, like what
1: type of what time of year are you really focusing on? Like you know, are you given that you have you know obligations you know outside of outside of hunting and stuff like that are you do you prioritize the rut timing because you know that there is you know anything can kind of happen or are you you know an october kind of guy who knows hey i've done my work i know where there's some deer at i'm just going to go try to extract a deer
2: um i try not to let my season never end my wife will tell you that like (laughs) yeah it's like 365 days for me you know i Like some people are, a lot of people are fishing and I've already found two or three bucks I'll shoot when they're still fishing before they ever even put their cameras out. But, um, I do use my vacation time in November just because my hunting is so, so limited. And I know like, that's my best time to kill one. So that, that's when I do do it, but man, it can be done anytime. It was like October 14th, 15th and 16th. I had one camera that had five or six deer over 135 on it. Uh, eight thirty nine o'clock in the morning this year. Um, mm. late, so
1: getting late back. I, it's awfully late to get back to bed, right?
2: You, you know you're close. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. know you're, you know you. That's when you know you're close to where they're at. Yeah. Uh. So, but man, I I focus in in November. You know, I I try to do my bell to bell sets, but it can be done anytime. And like the opening day, I'm out there. Right. Yeah. And you know, I'm out there. My time is so limited that every weekend I can go, I go, even if the, even if the weather's not the greatest, even if the wind's a little high, or even if it's too hot, you know, I'm, I'm still going to go because I know in the back of my mind, all the years that I've been doing it, everything that I've ever listened to, or most people have ever told me is completely the opposite of what I've learned, especially on the public. Like it's too windy. You don't need to be out there. Well, man. The field was full of deer. <laughs> right. <laughs> or you can't do that. Well, Why can't I, I just kill the deer doing it? Right. <laughs> or you can't hunt. So
1: let me ask you this. That's, that's a good, that's a nice segue because you always hear people talk about, and I started kind of throwing this away a little bit to a degree within reason. Is you always hear people talk about you can't hunt mornings in October. Right. So where do you fall on that? Do you, are you a morning hunter in October or do you, main, are you mainly hunting evenings? Will you hunt a morning in October or what does it take to get you in? in a tree in a, in a morning set for October.
2: Well, you gotta think, it. you gotta think of it like the big picture, like a deer, a deer's life is, is opposite than ours. Like, you know, their evening is, or our evening is their morning. Mm-hmm. So their time zone, their time is basically switched for us and our AM is, you know, their evening. So you need to need to understand that first, but I'll go out anytime, man. If it's a, if it's a hot morning in October, um, you know, I, I, I will push on in there just because if, if I don't, if I don't go, then, you know, I know it's going to be two weeks before I can go again. You know, I may not get real aggressive. Um, I, obviously I'm a big fan of the weather, um, very very big fan of the weather but um now I'll, I'll hunt i'll hunt any morning in october um i'll hunt late mornings or i'll hunt mornings in september it, that doesn't bother me and i didn't used to be that way right because in all honesty like i grew up not knocking anybody back I, I grew up like watching the juries and this and that and i still think a lot about them but they were like you know um it's an October's an afternoon game and and it kind of is, but you know, you just that goes back to doing your scouting and trying to figure out where they're bedding at. you know, they're, they're moving somewhere in the daylight. That deer's not laying down at dark, you know, before it gets dark, before it gets daylight every morning, just sitting there all day. Like he's going to get up and do a little something.
1: Right. And it's kind of goes the same for the, the lull too, right? It's that it's when you look at, um, any studies that people have done around like GPS collar movement and stuff like that, they – I mean they increasingly move from the time that they basically go hard horned, right? Their movement increases through the – basically week by week, right, until you hit rut where their movement is, is crazy, right? And so it's just – I mean the, the rationale of like the October Law that they're just not moving just doesn't hold – doesn't hold water right because all the all the actual science and research data has told us told us differently it's like you're probably just if, if you're not seeing deer during that time of year you're probably just not in the right spot it, not that the deer aren't moving right
2: yeah I, I agree man and, and you just really have to a lot of this comes with time like you got to really think what's going on like you got to think about the rut coming up and uh, they're moving now, I don't think they're moving as far as what they may have been but they're you're just not like you said you're not on the deer and That's where you need to be. you got to be where they are. Right. Because
1: I think the part that, you know, and look, I'm guilty of it too. And I think, you know, I think every hunter is to a degree. It's like there's so many variables and puzzle pieces to put together that you may just be missing a a piece in that particular hunt or whatever, right? Because especially that time of year, because it's not as easy as where's the doe bedding at and let me set myself up on the downwind side of doe bedding. Or let me set myself up in a pinch point leading in between two two you know areas of doe bedding right because bucks are going to have to travel through this area like that time of year is a little bit more like you gotta you gotta know where the deer are at right it's a little less luck and a little bit more strategy of figuring it out right especially once you kind of hit the lull and you have to think about shifting food sources and their their biology is starting to change a little bit during that time as well it's like all these things, people have been in the timber now, so there's been a little bit more pressure because you're a couple weeks into the season. You know, it's like all these things kind of play a factor, and those setups you were seeing deer at the beginning of the season, you know, may not be good any longer for all those reasons, right?
2: Um, right. I agree, man. I agree, and that's when you're just going to scout, man. You're going to scout. Let's just say it's October 15th. That's prime rule, right? What they say, right? Well, and let's say you go into a spot that you've never hunted. And you go in there and you see that cedar tree a hundred yards through the woods. You go to it and it is literally as big around as your calf. and It is rubbed, shredded four foot tall. Mm -hmm. And then you start finding other rubs and a scrape here and there. So obviously, you know, you know, there is a big buck in an area. Mm -hmm. You got two or three days to hunt. So man, pull out your phone and, and, and look at the topographic, man. And if it's flat ground, you know, look for thick areas, try to figure out where's that deer, you know, where's he bedding at? If there's an ag field at, you can almost guarantee you know where he's going. Right. Right. In the evening, and, he's definitely
1: making just, his way there. It's just a matter of where can you intercept him at?
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, he may, you know, if it's that time of year, he may, he may not get out there till a couple hours after dark, but yeah. I guarantee you the light, 30 minutes before the sun goes down, he's up milling around somewhere and you just, You got to do your best to figure it out, and a lot of times you strike out more than once you hit the paw, but, and that's part of it, and that's that's what that's what makes it fun. That's what makes it deer hunting.
1: Yeah, exactly. And these guys, you know, kill big deer too. It's like people, it's they don't, you know, they don't realize how much time they put into this stuff. It's not like they go out and do like three sets a year and have it all figured out and kill a deer. You know, especially guys that are hunting public ground and stuff like that 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 are having success. It's like these guys are putting, you know. Dudes are putting time in, you know what I mean, to figure to figure the stuff out. Um, you know, it's, you know, you ask anyone who kills good deer and you're like you included, it's like you, you screw up a lot more than you, than you win. You know what I mean? It's like the batting average, if you're going like on a per day hunt and, and versus how often you have a kill, right? Or an opportunity to, it's like your, your batting averages is, is, is or our batting averages as hunters are pretty low just in general, regardless of how, you know, good someone is or perceived to be right so, i agree yeah. i agree so man i want to talk about access just for one more second you know because i know that you know when you're hunting public ground with all the pressure and stuff like that it's and especially if it's big a big piece you know access plays a a big role and you know of course getting in and out undetected you know and and making uh-huh. sure you're you're, you're clean because you just don't really want to tip tip anything off um, you know what are you looking for in access? are there are there ter- certain types of things that you look for when you're trying to find you know a a way into a into a location you know that you're you know are you looking for creeks to kind of walk up through? Or are you looking for bridges to kind of hide behind until you kind of get to your spot? You know, just I guess talk me through a little bit what you look for in access.
2: that's um that's one of the first things I look at like when I look at a piece of property um, or any you know any piece of public is you know access. like, where are the people coming and where are they going? And I like to, you know, download like the PDF files that, that have the access points. And, you know, it's I like them as spread apart as far as I can because that gives you the best chance of not running into anybody or somebody running into you. Um, so that's where I like to start, the, the furthest access points away. And as far as just literally getting to the stand, if, if I can get on a road, um, you know, I I like to walk the roads. i listened to a podcast where a guy said something like, you know, he didn't walk the road. I don't, I don't remember why he didn't walk the roads. I mean, the, the more you can stay on where a deer are used to you, the better. Right. Um, and I'm not saying like, if you can't get down in a Creek and, and, and slip into a spot, um, then to do it, but and a lot of my, a lot of my areas are, I, I find a good location to where there's not another place where somebody can access real close to me, mm-hmm. with then, you know, like another vehicle and then I'll just walk the, the road or the fire break and I'm generally not too far off of them. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't take off bouncing off through the, through the big woods real, real far. But a lot of these places I hunt, you know, like at, Really good access through them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, and to, and I, the less access, you know, if you got a thousand roads going everywhere and there's a uh, half a mile in between each road everywhere, that's probably not going to be as good. But if you got a mile or two, you know, in between this road and that road and a mile from this parking place to that parking place, that's that's the kind of areas that I like to to look at. Right. Okay.
1: That makes sense. That makes sense. Just because, you know, even if you are, you know, even if there are hunters there, you're already starting off, you know, a mile or whatever, apart from one another. So there's no, it would take a lot for you to get on top of each other, I guess, essentially. Right.
2: Right. Right. And I, you know, that, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, if it all depends, man, like I've, I've, I've ran into guys that, man, we're just, you know, awesome hunters. Like we ran into each other in the middle of nowhere. And he's like, well, I'm going to go over here. I'm like, okay, so we, you know, we kept it good, and I'm like, well, I'll go over here and have great hunt, seen big deer, a lot of deer, and then I've been in places where I ran into people, and they beat their stand all the heck, and they, you know, like, why are you sitting there, man, the wind is, the wind is dead wrong, like, you're messing, you know, messing it all up, but it, um, I don't, I don't know, man, I guess the main thing I look for is just how far a lot of the uh, parking places and the road and your foot access is away from each other. Right.
1: Yeah. It's a, it sounds to me like it's one of those things where you're going to, you're going to access smart, not necessarily hard all the time. You know what I mean? Where it's like, if if there's an easy way to get in that's going to be right, then take the, take the path that you, that you're provided. Um, but just make sure that it's the right access.
2: Yes. And, to kind of like beat around that a little bit. Like if you are, if you are like one of the guys, like one thing that I've, that I've really have noticed, like if you really are wanting to like get away from people and that doesn't necessarily mean that the hunting's going to be the best, but like if you really are wanting to get away from somebody, the thing that I have realized that keeps people away the most is big terrain features and water. Mm-hmm. I mean, that should be a given, but you know, if you, if you got to go up this one hill, this one pretty big hill and then it's flat, you're normally pretty good. But if you got to go up four or five hills that, you know, is, is a good elevation, then, you know, that's, that's going to knock down on the hunt pressure. And a lot of people, man, they, they don't have a kayak or they don't have a pair of waders. Um, that just all depends on, you know, how you want to do it and how you look at it.
1: Right. Right. So, you know, given Given that you're, you know, your access, you're finding whatever the the best access is and you're willing to take the hard route or the easy route, just depending on whichever you know way is going to you know be the best benefit. You know, are you, are you hanging and hunting pretty much every hunt or do you, do you place some stands, you know, do, during the course of the year that you know, you're going to want to get back to talk to me a little bit about that? Are you, are you all mobile?
2: Uh, yeah, all I do is hang and bang. I do have some stands, but man, I haven't hung them in, uh, it's been a couple of years. Um, and there's nothing wrong with either way. Like if you're, you know, if you can only hunt the rut and, and you know through time that this saddle or this bench or, you know, this, uh, transition area is good. There's nothing wrong with going back to that spot and hanging a stand and just, and, and hunting there. It's a very effective way of doing it. But man, I've been, I've been hanging and banging <laughs> way before it got cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh since i that's how i've been hunting public i mean at least at least 13 years right and that was way that was before um, the stands
1: got as light as they did too
2: yeah yeah i got the i have the big assaults is what i have and i bought them after i started it's still heavy
1: yeah
2: you know my pack is heavy um i run a, a good comfortable frame but yeah i just i strictly hang and bang yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, I mean, most guys, if, if they're getting after it on public and being aggressive, it's like you almost have to be. I, actually, I wanted to ask you this, man, because I'm curious. Like, if you're in the middle of a hunt, right? Will you mm-hmm. will you pull your set in the middle of a hunt and move sixty yards if you think you need to move, or or do you kind of let the let the area play out? Because that's one of the things that I've you know for me that I think I need to do a better job of. Like, there's days where I'll be in a, you know, I'll be in a tree. And, you know, I'll see a couple deer, you know, wherever they're, they maybe they're 50 yards, maybe they're 60 yards away. And I'll see like maybe two or three that consistently were that far away from me. And there's some, or, I don't know, there's just something in my brain of like how I've done it in the past where I'm like, you know what? I just need to be patient and sit this spot. You know, this is where I need to be. But whenever the deer are telling me that, hey, man, you're probably like 40 yards out of the game. You know, so that's one of the things I want to work on this year is just being more aggressive in the sense of like hey i'll pull my set in the middle of the hunt if i need to if i think that's the best chance i'm going to have where do you kind of
2: fall with that it um you you're scared because you think you're going to get down and mess it up when probably you're nothing ever knew you know nothing's ever going to know that you ever moved to right. shoot it or it wins you when you're up in the stand but i'll move okay. i'll move in a heartbeat the, the, the deer i shot this year um the wind was at nine between 9 nine thirty was going to make a, a complete changed so i knew i had to get down but i wanted to be there till it changed mm-hmm. and uh, the weather man was actually right on cue man so when wind changed i got down and i had about a mile i had about a mile move um i was really wanting to go to a spot man i shot that deer this year on the way on the ground um <laughs> so man you got to the number one thing i think that a lot of people don't don't be afraid to be aggressive, but also follow follow your gut. But if if you're seeing deer after deer, sixty yards out or forty yards out, the man, you need to move. Like there's, you didn't do anything wrong. You were close. You just need to move. Right.
1: Yeah, and that was <clears throat> that was kind of what happened to me a little bit in Ohio this year as I sat a set because I was seeing deer, and I felt like I was. It was so windy I couldn't hear. And I was like. I was like, I feel like I just need to be over on the other side of this, this, you know, like, it was like a big, like, uh, I guess it was an old log and road at one point, but it was all grown up and like the walls of the log and road were kind of falling in, so where it was now just like, looked like a big water runoff off the side of the mountain, essentially. Right. And, uh, and it was just all grown up with, you know, briars and green briars and all that stuff where you couldn't really see across. It. And I was like, man, I feel like I'm missing deer. I, I feel like I'm not because I can't hear. I was like, I feel like I'm missing deer that are over on the other side that I'm just not seeing or hearing. And so I finally made the move. And as soon as I did, man, I had, I sat at like, I guess, three different times, that general area. And I moved maybe just, man, it it was only probably 25 yards. And I had deer like walking up underneath me. You know what I mean? Saw a couple decent, decent bucks. And I was like, man, if I would have possibly made this move a couple of days earlier and not been a bonehead, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean?
2: It's, yeah. It, it's tough, man, because it's a lot of work to hang and bang. And it's a, it's a, it takes some time to move 40 yards or 60 yards. Sometimes like if you want to be, if you want to do it right and be quiet, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just takes some time. And, um, uh, you know, I've been there, you know, I've, I've made them no moves a bunch. And you now that's, that's when I feel like I, I start making mistakes is like when is like when I get really fatigued or when I yeah. kind of run off subject. But like if you're hunting and you say, you've got two weeks of hunting, um, there's nothing wrong with making mistakes because that's how you learn. But if you start making mistakes because you're, you're slot, you're being, getting sloppy and not trying like that's, there's a difference there. So if, Man, if you got the time to like recharge your batteries, man, then then do it because there's been a couple times like I've I've had a week and a half to hunt and literally I've drained myself. And I know me personally, I'll do good if I I know it doesn't kill big deer, but I, I I'll, I'll do better if I stay at home and get like a full eight hours of sleep and get up and just go back out there mid morning and set the rest of the day.
1: No, I'm the I'm the same way, man. Like I i learned that the hard way where you know it was you know i, don't, I think it might have been the hunt i was doing with chad when we were in southern ohio and it just i came i did a hunt in montana like just earlier in the year right which was a pretty brutal backcountry style hunt um for a couple of weeks and then i came ba- back and like jumped right into deer hunting you know for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. and we, you know, the normal grind of like getting up early to work out before work and then going to work all day and doing all that stuff and then trying to hunt every evening and every weekend that I could, you know, all day. And so by the time I got to the trip, you know, it was like a, I don't know, I was, I think Chad and I were hunting like 10 days, I think. And before we got to that trip, it's like, I was already kind of running on fumes, you know what I mean? And and it was a nine-day, you know, grinder to where, you know, I remember the one day it, it was raining in the morning. i would never been so happy for rain in my life, like pouring rain, like not the type of rain where you're you were going to get to sleep. Oh, him. man, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I rolled over, I looked at Chad, and I was like, is that rain? He's like, yep. And I'm like, I'm going back to sleep. <laughs> it's like me too. And we just, you know, slept for a couple extra hours. The rain kept on. We actually got up and went, went and drove into, like, the town and got, like, a good breakfast in us and stuff like that. And that was just, like, total attitude change. You know what I mean? Like I was ready for the oh, rest. Oh yeah. For the next half of the trip, you know what I mean? I was I was all in from there on. But uh, I mean, I did that even this year, where like the one day I was just like, you know what? I'm tired. I'm gonna sleep in a little bit, and I'm gonna go in mid, you know, mid morning or just like right before right before lunchtime and and uh, and and hunt the rest of the day or whatever. I mean, some guys will do that. There's mm-hmm. one there's one piece that I was hunting this year that swamp that I've told you about that I finally toward the end started figuring it out. I was like, because anytime I'd walk into it, I'd bump deer. Because the, the access was really kind of tough. And I started going in mid-morning because I could use the road traffic as my uh, cover sound. And going in mid-morning, I wasn't running into anything coming on the way back to bed. So I started going in. Instead of at the break of dawn, I'd go in at like eight thirty, nine 9.00, o'clock, 9.30. And once I started doing that, no more, no more deer encounters on the hike in, which
2: was good. Right. You know? Right. That's good, man. Live and learn. Yeah, yeah. It's
1: uh fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice. Or shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, I guess, is the way you say it. But uh Right. So, right. So speaking of that, man, what's the one thing from this year that you that you want to try to be better at next year?
2: One thing that I wanna be better at. Uh I think it's my I think it's my patience. Yeah. Because um, so I'm fortunate fortunate that I have you know, I hunt a really big piece and I have a lot of cameras and there's a lot of good deer running around and a lot of times like I won't be seeing no deer and I and I and I know I'm in the right spot but for some reason I got this little tick in my ear that's always like, Oh man, you need to you need to move, you need you know, you need to move, you need to move and um that that did that cost me a great deal this year. I think it did. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I was hunting this place and I was going back, you know, forth, like, where do I go? And, and I told myself, like, I need to be here. And then at this, at this time I need to, to move. And when I, the whole time I was sitting there in that morning, the morning, I, I did not follow my gut, which I should have. I was like, Josh, you just need to sit here and be patient and sit here and be patient but the whole time I was like, "Man, all these deer start moving over here at this time." Well, I, I made the move, and it it still wasn't a bad hunt. But when I pulled that camera, I'm not joking. Within an hour after I got down, I got I had pictures of a beautiful 140, 150 inch deer, hmm. 10 foot of where I was. <laughs> <laughs> uh. It's um, I need that's that's what I need to work out on. i I'm, I'm normally patient for a little bit, but then as my vacation and my season goes on, like, I just, I don't know. I feel like I need to go. I need to go, but really I need to be more patient. It's not that I want to come home or not that I want to hunt, just I want to move. Right. And I think that's part of my aggressiveness that I maybe need to chill out a little bit, but I think that, um, I think that I need to be a little bit more patient.
1: Yeah. I think that, I mean, that's, It's something I've heard from, from guys where it's like, when they talk about hunting aggressive, you know, it's, it's hunting aggressive on your setups, right. Of like, it's getting the business Mm -hmm. of the, it's getting the bedroom or close to the bedroom as we can. If you know that there's a deer there, go get it. You know, don't, you know, don't spend your time, you know, chipping off things at the, at the edges and stuff like that. Just get all up in his business and try to kill him. But there is the aspect of it where it's, you know, If you've done your homework, right, and and you do, you know, you have, you put boots on the ground like no one's business and you know there's supposed to be a deer there, then just believe the sign. And it goes back to what you were saying before, which is trust your gut, right? It's like if you know you've done your work and you know something's supposed to happen there, just let it happen.
2: Right. You know. Right. Well, your mind plays games with you, man, because you're like, man, I've got pictures of these deer, you know, two or three bucks all over here. Where Where are they at? Where are they at? Where are they at? at? and uh, they're they're there i've figured that out the hard way i mean they're there you just yeah it's a waiting game yeah yeah well man i've
1: kept you just a little over an hour dude we'll have to do uh we'll have to do a part two because we didn't even get into to trad bows and i want to talk to you about some uh, some some trad hunting and stuff like that but i want to it's it's a sunday here uh i want to make sure you have some time to spend with your family so we can keep those uh family points all good for the hunting season for you and i actually need to make sure my family points are in order too for hunting season so <laughs> <laughs> so uh but before i get going man let folks know where they can find out more about you where they can follow you
2: man i am pretty low-key on social media only thing i have is uh instagram you can follow me there at bg underscore bow hunter that's the only place you'll find me um i'm pretty sure that I will be having some content coming out for Exodus this fall, so keep an eye out for that.
1: Awesome, man. Well, hey, dude, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll continue to ta- uh, text and chat throughout the uh, the summer or the winter, spring, summer here leading into fall. So I know what's going on with you, and we'll one of these days I might try to get down there and uh, hunt your neck of the woods too. But uh, don't be a stranger, oh. and we'll have you back on. We'll talk some trad soon.
2: Okay, buddy. Thanks.
1: All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank Josh for joining. Be sure to follow him on Instagram. That's BGBowHunter. Uh, he puts out some cool content, a lot of great photos. Um, you get to kind of follow along with him as he's scouting and hunting during the course of the year. He'll be switching gears here to the Springs of King here pretty quickly, or Kings of Spring, strike that, reverse it. Uh, we'd, of course, like to thank all of you for listening, and if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating, and then be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already done so, we'd be super appreciative if you do those handful of things for us. And before we shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout-out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Exodus Outdoor Gear, Trophy Ridge, Ozonics, Obsession Bows, Ram Cap Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead downwind. And until next time, we'll see y'all. I could show you
3: through the door. I ain't welcome anymore. If it all
0: It takes a special knowing to color phone image takes broken letters
3: Nationalize yourself in numbers But I gotta do uh uh